Welcome to Rise and Thrive, a segment of the Unyielded Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Kaler. These short segments are meant to be fuel for you, for your week, and for your life. If you are finding value in these, and if you haven't done so already, make sure that you hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another episode. We are coming up on the anniversary of the East Troublesome Fire that swept through our community on October 21st, 2020. It was the second largest fire in Colorado history and one of the fastest moving fires in U.S. history. It was so fast that at its fastest, it burned 90 football fields per minute. Our incident commander, who has spent his entire life battling forest fires, called it a 2% fire meaning that it was an incredibly rare in how it burned. And we were right in its path. It had started on October 14th, 2020, and was some, I don't know, 20, 25 miles away from us. And at that point, it was a very, very small fire. On the 16th, it started to gain momentum, but it was still so far away that it wasn't really a threat. By the 18th, we decided that we'd pack up our car and have what I called grab-and-go stations set up in the house. That meant that we had tubs at these different areas in case we needed to, you know, actually evacuate. I had everything right there. All I had to do was put it in the tub, load it in the car, and off we'd go. We even went so far as to walk through what would we do should it come to that? You know, who would pack the tubs, who would carry them in the car, what would we do, you know, with our dog Riley, getting his food, his meds, all that kind of stuff. And it was one of those things that it kind of felt like a silly precaution, but then we thought, oh my goodness, if we have to actually evacuate, we'd rather be prepared. Then the night of the 21st came around and we tuned into the Facebook Live as we'd been doing with the incident commander and local authorities. As they were wrapping up the Facebook Live at 6.25 p.m., the last question was, is Grand Lake under any immediate threat. And we live in Grand Lake. At that point, the answer was no, there's no immediate threat. And there's no thought of putting us on a pre-evacuation status. That's cool. I mean, that was significant as typically a pre-evacuation is your warning to get ready because you might end up needing to evacuate, although not always. And a pre-evacuate, it might last anywhere from 12 hours to several days. At 6.42 p.m., Remember, we got the no imminent, no immediate danger at 6.25. At 6.42 p.m., 17 minutes later, both of our phones buzzed from a red alert saying that we are under a pre-evacuation. No need to leave now, just be ready. It was a little unnerving, but not terribly surprising. We talked it over and we said, hey, we've done our packing and we'd reassess it in the morning. We started cooking dinner and at 6.58 p.m., 16 minutes later, our phones buzzed again. Once again, it was from Red Alert, and this time it said, mandatory, immediate evacuation. Leave now. Now, as strange as this is going to sound, it actually took a few minutes for that to really sink in. I remember at one point looking at at the message and I was thinking, this doesn't make sense. I mean, 30 minutes ago, we were told that there was no immediate danger. I must be reading this wrong, or somehow this is a mistake. 
I then said to Rick, I said, what's your message say? As though maybe I had been seeing the wrong message or something. I mean, it was just, it was just absolutely surreal. And we ended up kind of looking at each other for a very long moment. And then we said, okay, I guess this is real. Let's work our plan. And I have to say that it was so valuable that we had practiced what we were going to do. We calmly collected everything and our dog Riley, and we got into our cars roughly 10 minutes later. As we were getting ready to leave, a neighbor stopped by to check on us, and we chatted very briefly about the different neighbors who were left and if anyone needed help. Seemed like we were all good to go, so we got into our cars, and we started off. And at that point, I was still thinking that the evacuation was probably precautionary. At this point, roughly 45 minutes had passed since we were told that the fire was still miles away and there was no immediate danger. As we were driving out of our neighborhood, the police cars and the fire trucks came racing in. Within just a few miles, we caught sight and we had our first glimpse of the fire. It was burning up on the mountains and it looked like a glowing red blanket. It was big. It was huge. And it was burning towards the road that we were on, which is the only road in or out of that area. And I thought, oh my goodness, if anyone panics, if anyone panics and there's an accident, we're not going to get out. I mean, all these people, we're not going to get out. And luckily, I have to say, everyone stayed so calm. And I also have to say, the police did an absolutely amazing job of directing traffic. It couldn't, I I don't think it could have gone any better than it did. And I was watching the fire as it was burning and, and it was big and it was getting closer. And the thing that caught my attention is as we were trying to get out, fire truck after fire truck after fire truck and emergency vehicles, they were all racing towards us and heading to the fire to go battle it. And I remember thinking, who would race towards that fire. I, I'm still emotional when I think about that because I think they truly were heroes that night. To see that fire and how massive it was, and they were racing towards it. Unbelievable. They fought so bravely to save as many homes as they did. And our community was a direct hit. And at one point, it was predicted that everything would be lost. And we had winds up to about 100 miles per hour that night. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a far-fetched prediction. In all, 198,000 acres burned all around us. And it turns out that the first home in our neighborhood was burning less than 10 minutes after we left. And I want to say that house is, I don't know, it was maybe, maybe a half a mile from ours. And it probably wasn't quite that much. It took us 10 days to learn if our home had been spared. And that was also incredibly surreal. People were contacting us saying, hey, do you know about your house? And we're like, nope, we're still waiting. And and they kept saying, you must be so stressed. And we're like, actually, no, it is what it is. It's either there or it's not there. If it's there, fine. We'll, we'll, you know, if it's damaged, we'll, we'll figure that out. If it's not there, then we'll figure that out too. And here's the other part of it. We were so lucky because we happened to have, not only did we make it out alive, let's just say that, we also had a friend who had a vacation condo, I don't know, 45 minutes from our house and her her vacation condo was in a safe area. And she's like, just go there. So we had a place to stay. I mean, we were lucky. 
And that night, the night of the fire, we listened to the scanner for a while before going to bed. And I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad a bad thing because you could hear the firefighters and you, you could just hear them calling out for help. And, you know, they were describing, you know, there were embers the size of boulders that were landing on people's houses. And it was, I don't actually know if it was good to listen to it or not. But at one point, we knew exactly where they were. They were referencing, you know, Columbine Lake, which is our tiny little neighborhood, and the different roads that we walk on and that surround us. And the fire was there, and they were doing their best to fight it. And knowing that the winds were as bad as they were, it really did seem like all the homes were going to be lost. Finally, we thought, why are we even listening to the scanner? So we turned it off and we went to bed thinking our home is probably gone. And I remember at two in the morning, I was still tossing and turning. And I was thinking about, oh my gosh, everything, everything's gone. Like our house, everything in it. And it wasn't about the possessions. It was just, it was surreal to think everything that you've ever had might be gone. And I was thinking, oh, what are we going to do? Blah, blah, blah. And finally, I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. You have faced so many challenges in your life. Are you really saying that this is the challenge that you can't face? And in the darkness of that night, I knew that whatever the outcome, if our house was still there or if it was gone, we would be fine, that we could figure out whatever we needed to. And with that thought, I fell asleep. And I slept very peacefully the next morning. I felt I slept fine every night. And this is what I think of as grounded optimism. We don't hide from reality, but, but we have that faith and that belief in our ability to move through it in a successful way. That fuels resilience and calm, clear-headed action. And this is also why it is so important that we get familiar with our own strength and our own courage. And what I mean by that is that we need to do an inventory of challenges that we've overcome or that we've navigated. This allows us to actively draw upon upon that well of strength when we need it. Most people don't do this. And then when they need that strength and that courage, it's harder to reach for it because it seems like they're on unprecedented ground. Now, true, absolutely true. Rick and I had never faced a forest fire before, and I hope we never do again. But we had faced my life-threatening illness. We'd started a business together. We moved across the country together. And right when we got to the other side of the country and we're getting ready to start our new life, September 11th happens and we knew nobody. So we had faced challenges. And that's why I knew that we could face this and navigate it. As a side note, there are three questions that people often ask about the fire and about the experience. So I'm just going to address those then in case you're thinking of those. Number one, did our house survive? Yes, it did. We were incredibly lucky. 28 of our near neighbors lost their homes, and I think it was something like 300 homes in a small community were destroyed. And keep in mind, there are 410 people who live in that town. So it was a direct hit. Second question is often, other than you, Rick and Riley, what was the most important thing that you took with you? And this is going to sound strange, but on the day of the fire, it was in the morning. I was serving my, well, it was at lunch. I was serving myself a bowl of chili for lunch. And I was using the chili ladle that had been my dad's on the farm. And chili was my dad's specialty. And I thought to myself, I'm going to put this in the car just in case. 
because there are so many childhood memories in that ladle. And that was one of the things I was most grateful for that I took as a precaution. And then finally, the third question that I'm often asked is, so was there something that you didn't take that you regretted not taking? And again, this might sound silly, but I have a notebook of curated recipes and modified recipes that I've collected from various places or I've kind of made up or whatever over over the years. A cookbook I can replace. That notebook, that would have hurt to, to, to have lost that. And now what I've done is I've taken pictures of, of most of my favorite recipes just in case. So I wanted to answer those just in case those were running through your mind. But here's an activity that I want to leave you with that will help you build your strength, courage, and confidence for whatever challenge you might be facing, either now or in the future. So here it is. Think about the decades of your life. And for each decade, write down what are the major challenges or obstacles that I faced. When you see that list, you will begin to see just how strong and resilient you truly are. That's why writing it down has more power than merely thinking about it. I mean, it's good to think about it, but writing it down has more power because it's tangible, it's visual, you can see it, you can hold it in your hand. So keep that list handy and look at it occasionally. And it will continue to send you the message that you are strong and resourceful and that you are greater than your challenge. Thank you so much for tuning in and for listening. If you know of someone who would benefit from this podcast, I truly hope that you'll share it with them. Have a great week and make sure that you rise and thrive.